0: The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. You won't believe what Classcraft has in store for you at ISTE 2019. Stop by the Classcraft booth and complete the new AR experience to be entered in a drawing for Nintendo Switch. Do you want twice the chance to win? Simply put us, On Education, as your referring friend on the form. To learn more about Classcraft, visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. They'll stamp their hands so that they know, like, it's like a reminder when you go home, oh, why do you have that stamp on your hand? It's, oh, mom, you, have, you owe some money oh, to the school, whatever it might be.
1: Welcome to On Education, I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an
0: awesome pod for you today. The Raptors are NBA champs, and the world's most important video game conference, E3, is over. We'll talk about both of them. This week, we'll also talk about the closing of the Institute of Play and the massive equity gaps that exist when it comes to getting online. Our guest this week is the Director of Photography for Lighting at Pixar Animation Studios, Danielle Feinberg. So we're here. We're here together. Yes, we are. In, In Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Wisconsin.
1: At USM Spark, it's pretty nice. This is a hell of a school.
0: Beautiful school. Um, it's a high school, I believe, right? It's a, a private high school. Uh, someone that talked about it before to me and said that it reminded them of Hogwarts, and I can see why. Um, it's like a modern version of Hogwarts.
1: With a badass makerspace. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying, modern version. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes. You're talking about uh, just the facilities are amazing, and the conference itself, so far, we're in day one, and my goodness, what an awesome uh, conference! Probably about two or three hundred attendees. Fantastic sessions, and really, it's the who's who of presenters that are here. Just an amazing group of presenters and the attendees. Uh, seem really excited, also.
1: Yeah, this is this is top of the line. This is top notch. It's pretty sweet, and we have a booth. We have a table um, with a, all of our new equipment is here, and um, it's pretty exciting. We have a little TV with some some demos or some some little videos and stuff it's pretty sweet this is this is pretty awesome it's a it's a lot of fun to be here uh speaking of pretty awesome how about how about those NBA champion Toronto Raptors
0: they won <laughs> is yes. that all you're gonna say though uh, they won I'm not gonna make any comments about it cause, they won because I only have uh negative things to add so you sure. can so you guys can go ahead and they and won a
1: battle of attrition.
0: They can, they can, you can be happy and celebrate, and I saw. And, uh, hey, they did win. So
1: they, I saw a picture of the the parade uh, today, mm. and there was probably about half a million people. Nice. On how, the how many people live in Toronto? About one point three in the main in the main city, and then mm. probably about four and a half in like the greater Toronto area. Wow. So that's a. Ginormous city, so yeah, half a million people in the streets. My yeah. goodness! No, it was pretty intense. The, the pictures look amazing. Um, so yeah, no, super exciting. It's been it's been really cool. I was watching it in Austin, Texas. I was at Learn Fest, and uh, and you know went to a bar and watched the game and got heckled by uh, a couple of people from California at the table next door. And you know we all shake hands at the end, and everyone is uh, you mm. know happy for you and whatever. So. It's pretty sweet. Um, e three was this week. Uh, I've actually been. I think I've probably told this story. I've been to an E. I went to E E3 three two thousand and eleven. E three is amazing. Not a lot of people probably know what E three even is, so we should
0: yeah tell explain them about
1: it. So E three is the largest. It, it's not the largest video game conference in the world, but it's probably the most important. Um, a lot of things get announced and and released. Dates get shown, lots of previews, lots of videos, lots of big... Anytime there's a new console, it gets um, announced at E3. So E3 was last week, and there was tons of huge announcements.
0: Yeah. No, I I mean, the thing that excited me most is there was a game called Minecraft Dungeons, Mm -hmm. and it looks just so awesome. They've taken the style of Minecraft and kind of blended it with... Some other top-down kind of kind uh, like games, Diablo. Uh-huh. and then and it just looks really really cool. It looks exciting, super fun to play. Kind of a new take on on the old Minecraft. So that that was awesome too. And then they announced that there's a Xbox Game Pass. Yeah, and I just was wondering if it will be worth it. I think you just said that you I you got it. it. Yeah. I, yep. So
1: I don't know. I kind of got sold it a little bit, but I I was like, eh, this this might be interesting. I I like playing. There are lots of games that have come out in the last few years that were released for Xbox that have crossplay, but you didn't. I I I did. You could play them on both, but you couldn't buy it on one and play it on the other for free or have it included. And this seems like it's solving some of that problem too, um, where like some really cool games like Forza and stuff like that are going to be playable on your PC and and it's going to be cross buy or whatever. Uh, so there is some opportunity there, I think too.
0: And you said it wasn't that expensive,
1: and it wasn't that expensive. There was like a, it was like a promo. There was a promo discount uh, for it, so uh, it seemed really, really interesting. What, what's this about a Blair Witch game?
0: <laughs> so there is a, there was a movie, It actually, I think yeah, yeah. it had a lot of sequels to it too, uh, the Blair Witch Project. Yes, um, and I, it just made me laugh though. I mean, not that I am going to play this game because. I don't know how interesting it actually looked. It had an interesting preview to it, uh, just like the movie was, was interesting. But I had written in the notes here that I have a story about the Blair Witch Project, which is when I was in college, I believe. Yeah, I think I was still in college. Uh, or I was in one of my first years of teaching. I can't remember which one of the two it was. I was out visiting one of my friends in Colorado. And actually, I wasn't actually visiting him. I ended up visiting him. Um, I had a layover of a flight, and my flight got canceled, and I was in Denver. seems to happen to me a lot in Denver. And I had a friend, though, that I knew that lived in Denver, so... I called uh, his house, and his dad told me that he was at the movies. Right? Okay. (laughs) So, and it was a unique movie theater. It wasn't the normal kind of movie theater. It was is in downtown Denver, and it was an old style theater. Um, And they were showing this movie, the Blair Witch Project. And this was at the beginning, before anybody knew anything about it. Kind of, they weren't. They wasn't out in uh, regular theaters. If people don't know the story of like the Blair Witch, but they put it out kind of like it was a documentary. So they didn't, so they didn't reveal that it was, you know, like a fake story. They put it out as this kind of documentary that you were going to watch and it got all this kind of buzz. And anyway, I never even had heard of this entire thing and I hate scary movies. Um, (laughs) But I knew he was at this thing and I'm like, cool, I'll I'll go there. And I went to the, I went to the theater and it was sold out. But I told a guy at the door, Hey, I, I just came into town, look at my bag here. I'm. I need to find my friend and he's in there. Is it okay if I just go look for him real quick? The movie had just begun and the lights were down and I'm walking down the things with a a luggage bag and and whispering my friend's name out (laughs) who doesn't even know I'm looking for him. Randomly, I find him and he's like, hey, what's up? And and so I sit down, it's packed. I mean, it's sold out. And I sit down in the uh, aisle and watch this movie and I'm like... You, know, you I, get like, the I, absolute
1: had, crap scared out of you?
0: I, first of all, I didn't know what I was even watching, you know, number one. I hate scary <laughs> movies. And then this thing comes out, and it feels like a documentary, so it feels like something that someone recorded, you know, and, and if anyone's ever seen the actual show. Yeah. So... It was hilarious, you know, as far as in the end and that's my experience as far as with the Blair Witch project and and with my friend and so random that I ended up going into this theater and he's like what are you even doing here? I'm like oh, I'm looking for you. <laughs> so, super hilarious and random. That's why I was as I was watching the little preview, I'm like, "Oh, Blair Witch is still around.
1: Did you find the movie scary?"
0: I found the movie disturbing. Oh yeah. I, I didn't think it was scary, but I there's a there's a uh, for me, that line is is pretty close to each other. Scary, disturbing is pretty close to each other. So, you know, like clowns, I hate clowns. So like the movie It or any of those kinds of things, I find all of those things disturbing and then they, they freak me out too. So it's a combination of the two.
1: I, I think we've hit, uh, at E3, I think we've hit peak Keanu Reeves. Yes. In, in 2019, he's definitely making a comeback.
0: Yeah, Keanu Reeves, my goodness.
1: He's definitely getting the love all over the place, yeah. which is pretty... It's pretty cool.
0: I like that his that he's had a revitalization of his career. I mean, I like Keanu Reeves. Uh, I know he gets a lot of a lot of people talk trash about his inability to act or whatever it might be. I think he's freaking awesome. But, uh, and a lot of his movies that that have come out. And I, I think it's hilarious though that he came out on stage at this thing and he just the whole crowd just went crazy right uh, about uh, him coming out. So I guess gamers are. Big fans, too, of Keanu Reeves. They love John Wick. Yeah, John Wick. Big fans of John Wick and Keanu. (laughs) Yes.
1: So Keanu, uh, 2019 is definitely the year of Keanu Reeves, and uh, E3 was definitely a a hilarious stage for him. Someone yelled out in the middle of the – because he was about to go on a talk. He was Hmm. saying something, and someone wrote – someone yelled out "we love you Keanu Reeves" and he was like "hey I love you too" <laughs> like in in that in that like Keanu Reeves voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone just lost their minds. So pretty pretty funny pretty funny stuff. Um, let's get to some news. We have a little bit of news, some interesting articles and and stuff that have come out. Um, we found out probably I, I think it was probably last week actually. We found out the Institute of Play is is um, shuttering, is closing down. Um, these guys have done a lot of really good work over the last few years, so this is a bit bittersweet, eh?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people that are really upset by it, and I think it was just lack of funding in the end. Uh, totally. That that you know, that's what happens to a lot of these things, and um, yeah, it's it's sad, and I hopefully something or some other. Uh, institution or yeah. group of people ends up picking up the work that all of the awesome work that they have uh, not just started, but done and then continue that, that awesome work uh, just because there's so many things that they've st- that they started and worked on and so many studies. kids that they've affect, uh they've affected and so many, yep. Uh, game-based learning studies and, and uh, research that yeah, they've yeah. actually done.
1: Well, they did like MacArthur foundation stuff, mm-hmm. like paint giant, huge, Incredibly funded papers um, from MacArthur Foundation. And uh, from what I know, I, I know two things that are kind of interesting. One is that there's going to be a panel about Institute, um, uh, Institute of Play shutting down at Games for Change, which actually I think is going on literally like right now. Right now. Uh, so I don't know when that panel is. Um, maybe it was today or, or in the next day or so. But there's going to be a panel which I, I hope gets um, put kind of online because I'd be interested in watching um, what was said, um, but the other thing that I did read was that all of the all of like the resources, this data that you're talking about, and the research and like the 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 assets that they have, and all of the the the, the papers and the writing are all being donated to the um, uh, University of California, Irvine. Mm. Uh, so UC Irvine is getting all of this stuff, and they've actually agreed. Um, to like a non-exclusive license which means that it's not like like uc Irvine can't decide who has access to this stuff and mm. who doesn't they can't sell it i don't think so it's open source so it's open to everybody but it's going to be um they've agreed to um a uc or i think has agreed to like to hold it to store it mm. and keep it safe so yeah that at least you know um a lot of this stuff is going to get preserved yeah which which is super, super important. important my um first kind of contact with them was through the, the school that quest to learn school. Have you Mm -hmm. ever heard of this?
0: I I saw it in the article, but I, I didn't know
1: much about it. So they basically took, took school. They took a K to eight school. It's, it's a public school and uh, in New York and they were given the ability to basically like redo the whole thing. So they, they wrote an entirely new curriculum. It's all gamified and game-based learning Um, it's all, um, narrative driven, um, fictional, fictional narratives and all of this stuff. Um, and, and super intense. Um, and they, that's, that's what they did. The, The whole school was centered around this, um, this, this new curriculum and the curriculum is actually available. You can literally, like if you wanted to start a private school, for example, or whatever, and you weren't bound to any sort of curriculum you could literally download this open source curriculum documents and you would have like a turnkey solution for to build a school and have curriculum now obviously we know that there's a lot of other factors involved Mm -hmm. in that but um, but this these documents were one of the first I I was looking through them for ideas on how to gamify certain lessons and certain content that's what I was looking through them for and that but that's how I came up uh, on them um, through, I guess Jane McGonigal has done some work with them, and then, and then uh, I found this quest to learn stuff, and it's it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, the stuff that we're talking about here is is really an important movement, and I don't think that you know, obviously, this is a huge loss uh, for the community, uh, especially because it's research based. We're talking about they're collecting research uh, and and basically justifying that uh, game-based learning, gamification, those types of techniques do actually work in classes.
1: This article on Education Week was really, really interesting, and we've kind of talked about this before, this idea that um, there's definitely still an issue of equity in, in um, our students' homes um, with not having access to technology and therefore being asked, if your school is asking your, your kids to do homework or something at home related to technology just not being able to do it because they literally don't have a computer the most astounding you know number in this is that 17 percent of u.s students do not have an access to don't have access to a computer at home yeah um, it's, that's a huge number
0: yeah we've done surveys like this and i think uh, actually i i believe and i want to believe that most districts do this research about their students, especially if they are doing a one-to-one program. So they want to right. know, do you have access to internet at home if you have one-to-one? Number two, if you are giving any kind of digital uh, homework or any types of things where students have to access something from your, the homes, they have to find out what kind of devices, if you're not providing the device, do you actually have? And then do you have, in this case, you know, a broadband speed internet? And he even talks about here that 18% d- don't have uh, access to broadband um which which is, is still significant and mm-hmm. and I would actually say Huge. that 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 number goes way, way up in rural areas, so oh yeah, uh, there's a lot of people that don't understand you know, I lived in rural southeastern Minnesota, mm-hmm. and there was plenty of our students that basically they haven't ran the lines out to places yet, so one of the things I think that Noah Geisel always talks about. Uh, And some uh, and uh, some other people of of like minds that he believes that the big change will happen when we go to 5G, uh, the 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 speed at which you're able to go and basically use your phone or just have that ability to be able to use on an iPad or a device or whatever might be that that will be the great equalizer. Um, and we won't need to run physical lines out to places, and and you know, and and that will end up being what we all connect to, which I think is is awesome. Uh, the, the the sooner the better, but again, also, how expensive will that be? Will people be able to afford that? Um, who knows? You know, those are all important questions. And I yeah. think every district needs to look at, and every teacher needs to understand and make sure of their students. Do they actually have the capability of completing this digital work? And if not, you need to be able to provide some other type of form of being able to show, demonstrate that same work without having to have a computer, without having to have Internet access or high speed Internet access or whatever it might be.
1: Because no one's burying a line in North Dakota like a fiber line
0: they are they are lines no, in in north like, dakota. R- no
1: but what i'm saying in like rural north dakota there's, no one's no one's burying a fiber some people, line some
0: people of fargo are yelling at you right no, now I don't care that. <laughs>
1: but, but i'm not wrong i mean that's the problem is that there's no access to yeah, to these broadband in north dakota and like all these rural places yes
0: with the further away that you go from any big city, and the colder it yeah, gets like yeah, where yeah, it's people and less people it's like The companies aren't really driven to you know making a huge investment to try to make that there's like four farms yes yeah so no it's not happening yeah so it's ridiculous i just thought it was funny because you said north dakota i don't know where else to say there's no one lives in north dakota let's just be honest oh my goodness Hey, peep, hey, people in North Dakota. <laughs> Come at me. Let, let Mike know. <laughs> you are there. He, he, I guess he's never been to Fargo.
1: I've never been to or Fargo. Or Bismarck or Jamestown. You know, in my defense, there's lots of places where no one lives in like Saskatchewan, too. No one lives in rural Saskatchewan either, yeah. so whatever.
0: I, I didn't know, actually, the name of that one city that you told me the other Saskatoon. day. Saskatoon. Yeah, Saskatoon. When you said that, I thought it was the name of a cartoon character. But so, there are people so, that live in <laughs>
1: Saskatoon, though. So,
0: so I thought that was pretty funny, too. But it's so funny, it's,
1: because I drove when I drove from Saskatoon to this other school board, um, we were like, we had to drive like an hour south of Saskatoon Mm. and there's like no houses for like miles and miles and miles and miles. And you can see for miles and miles and there's no houses. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's no high speed internet out there. Probably not. (laughs) Probably probably not. So like, I mean, access is an insane problem and you know, we can sell all the robots and devices that we want, but if you don't have access to high speed, you're, you know you're really really limited in the things you can do and it's creating a massive problem um you know speaking of massive problems students having debt uh for eating are our words i basically can't believe i just said um yet here we are and this is the world we live in so when we come back we're going to talk about that so stay tuned
0: do you have plans to attend the isti conference this summer Come one day early and participate in the best hidden gem conference in the United States. Badge Summit 2019 will take place on the Temple University campus in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on June 22nd. There will be lots of wicked smart educators to collaborate with on topics such as digital badges, credentials, gamification, and more. To learn more about Badge Summit, simply visit bit.ly slash badge summit.
1: All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I don't have a very good way of framing this because I can't believe it actually exists. Mm-hmm. But we're going to talk a little bit about lunch debt mm-hmm. and about it, you know, why it even exists because um, apparently this is a problem. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, a couple of articles that just came
0: out recently. Well, one of them was basically three days ago uh, talking about lunch debt and... Uh, just several different issues with it number one that it even exists is Mm -hmm. an issue Uh, in other words um, schools are trying to find ways (laughs) of basically being able to collect monies from kids and uh, from kids and and obviously their parents who can't afford to pay for these lunches
1: so that's a real problem right like just the that the families don't have a whole lot of money, and, and that's so a real their, problem, right? So yes. that's like the actual root problem, and it's legitimate. It's a hundred percent. It's a
0: hundred percent legitimate. Yeah, um, we know as far as in research that many times one of the most staple meals that many of our kids have is at school. Yeah, with our lunch programs. Yeah, which best meal that, they have all day. That is incredibly. You know, some people, it's so uh, out of, you know, their, their realm that they can't actually put their mind around, but that is actually a fact. And so, you know, things like in the summer, we understand too at schools when we aren't serving lunch, that students are going to have to find a way to be able to access that food. So let's go back to lunch debt itself. Yeah. The lunch that then exists. And then what happens is even in my account, for example, if my account goes below $20, uh, for my two kids and they don't even eat lunch at school, they just get milk. Um but if it goes below twenty dollars, we start receiving emails. Uh, emails sure. add robocalls to our to give us notification that we're under twenty dollars. Every single day they will oh, yeah. continue to go and do that, which it's fine. I mean it's a reminder about what actually happens. But the problem is then when You have staff who are now contacting your kid, the kids themselves and asking them, why aren't you paying for for this? You know, what's what's wrong? You know, tell your parents they owe this much money or you're in debt. We have blah, blah, blah. Or even to the extreme, and I've worked at several school districts that have done something like this where they won't actually serve a kid hot lunch, that they'll instead make them eat like a cold peanut butter and jelly sandwich in a bag, a different meal just specific for these kids who can't afford the hot meal, which is, is just astounding, but it is happening currently right now. So you're putting pressure on kids who have nothing to do with what, their parents are able to do or afford or whatever might be, which is gross. Number two, you're like serving them alternate meals or even worse, as some of these uh, articles have said, you're not giving them food. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? But no, it's not. We're not kidding you. Little kids.
1: Let me help. Help me understand like the actual like logistics of it. Because so in in Ontario, in southern Ontario, where I live, um, we don't I don't know of any elementary school any like k-8 to school that has a, like a cafeteria and, and does a lunch program they have like a paid lunch program that's done through like a third party some schools will have like a paid lunch there's a company called the lunch lady and they'll bring in lunches but you have to like pay for each one kind of at a time in your parents pay for it or whatever very different um, model yeah yeah totally uh, and uh, only a very few amount of schools have what we would call it like a breakfast program so So I I actually did one of my placements when I was doing my my B. Ed had had one of these breakfast programs. So um, kids that um, did not have, you know, had a low, low income or whatever, didn't we knew weren't eating a good breakfast would be able to come early and and have a have a breakfast. And it was it wasn't like anything big. It was like juice boxes and cereal kind of thing. But at least it was something. And that was entirely free. The kids didn't have to pay for it. There was no money exchange. They just literally just come and eat. And it was almost always um, um, funded by like the parent councils or or something like that. But there's no, where does the money come from for this? It has to, like it'd be taxes, I guess.
0: There's a federal monies that are directed towards food service programs. Huh. So it's way different than what you're explaining.
1: Yeah.
0: The exact opposite is true, which most schools have physical cafeterias with, phys- with employees, sometimes third-party employees, but sometimes they're district employees that work within the school to serve lunch. Right. Um, and sometimes, and a lot of schools have actually shifted to this, to do what you were describing, which is to serve breakfast also. Mm-hmm. Because we found that that was also a problem. A lot of kids weren't getting breakfast before they would come to school. Along with that there is a subsidized program which is a free lunch program uh, and then there is a, a subsidized program where you pay a partial amount you know a less less of the full cost let's say it was two dollars for the lunch and you might pay 75 cents or a dollar per lunch mm-hmm. so one of the things that I was going to tell you about is, and a lot of people probably can relate to this story I'm 43 years old and when I was a kid, um, my parents were super low income. Uh, there was a distinguishing thing between people who had regular lunch and then the the people who had free lunch My right God, eh? and then the way that you actually paid for your lunch you got these little cards, and the card was either blue, and that was meant that your parents paid right like they actually paid for their meal <laughs> but for us, other people, we went to a different line. They even made us go to a different line, and we had a, pink, a
1: pink card. It's like a stigma right and it there. Was,
0: yep, and it was the free or reduced line that we went in, and that was the first time I knew there was a difference between those people over there that had the blue card and us that had this pink card. And, I mean, I really did ask my parents, you know, my mom, and said, so, like, what what's going on? You know, why do I have this thing? And she really couldn't explain to me, which is like a really horrible situation that puts your, you know, kind of your family into your little kids, or whatever, yeah, you have yeah. to actually talk about this Often. kind of stuff. Um, and it was the first time. And now that kind of stuff doesn't exactly happen anymore. But you know, one of the stuff that I have heard of is kids that have debt, they'll actually stamp their hands, oh right? They'll stamp their hands so that they know, like, it's like a reminder when you go home Oh, why do you have that stamp on your hand? It's oh, mom, you have you owe some money to the school, whatever it might be. God. It's like those That's kinds of those I've stories ever. actually do exist. I'm not even making this stuff up. And it, yeah. and what it what sucks about it is that it's really commonplace. It's like a very like like it's a a thing that a lot of schools are doing, which is just horrible. You're. Talk about stigma and all of those things you're doing. an incredible
1: doing. lack of empathy. And,
0: and you know, I'm 43. I remember that. You know, I remember that specific story with me carrying that stupid pink card, you know, and hole punching it, whatever it might be. Yeah. It's it's, it's something that you carry with, you know, for, for your whole life. So I feel super bad for these kids. What can we actually do about this? Basically, what I'm saying is how, if a kid can't afford lunch, we should be able to provide that for them. Uh-huh. And we got to figure out how we're going to do that. And we should not blame our students for these adult issues. You know, those are definitely the adult issues there. And we are kind of putting this, the the blame on them, which is just so gross. And, and the whole story started off by the way, with a kid who was uh, very generous and he, it it was a story that was posted all over Twitter and Facebook that he paid off his fellow students, debt Mm. with his uh, savings, he had some savings and he paid off all the debt so that the, all the kids wouldn't be stigmatized anymore and then a whole bunch of people commended his action which I, of course you know that's great that you did that but what's the bigger issue is that we're like oh why do these other kids have this debt why do they have to worry about that you know so it was gross it's a it's a really tough issue and school lunch shaming should not exist i mean it's just that's just that's just the end
1: we need to encourage these administer whoever's making these hiring decisions and monitoring the, the staff and whatever need to take a good hard look at how we're treating these kids i mean yes. it's and the
0: it's, procedures that you use
1: wow yes. it's unimaginable to me that like this is the thing this will be the f- there will be situations where this is like the first time a kid will realize that they're poor yes like, where they it have it was no for money. me no, right i
0: mean right there that was i didn't actually realize it up until that point i mean there was all of these other signs that we were poor, but I didn't actually... You, you, you don't, don't notice you, them. They don't resonate you don't, with you. You don't do that as a kid. Sure. Uh, but then you, someone does make you... Like that light turns on and you go, oh. You're different. Something's going on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And they brought it to me at school. Oh, boy. I Man, know.
1: You learned about it through you know Ugh. just trying to eat just a... Just trying to eat a meal. Eat a damn meal. <laughs> it's just the worst. <laughs> um, listen, we, we love talking about this stuff because mm-hmm. we think it's important that people do... Not all of the things in education are good, guys. Newsflash, and it's important that we talk about them because someone's got it, and you got to meet them head on. Um, So we're gonna keep doing that, and hopefully, you know, I I realize it kind of feels sometimes like you're pushing against the tide a little bit with some of this stuff, but you know, you you got to keep pushing, and hopefully, other people will come along and and push with us, and and you know, eventually we'll maybe change, make some people see that you got to think about how you're doing things. And this is another one of those things for sure. Yes. Uh, When we come back, we'll be speaking with Danielle Feinberg. Uh, Really excited about this. So stay with us. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Danielle Feinberg is the director of photography at Pixar Animation Studios. Her work is the perfect blend of science and coding and art, all with immense amount of passion and creativity thrown in. Outside of Pixar, uh, Danielle is a passionate voice for women entering STEM fields and is a major advocate for girls who code. On Sunday at ISTE, she'll be sharing her story as the keynote presenter and she joins us today on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Danielle.
2: Thank you, it's great to be here.
0: So Danielle, we're always interested in people's stories. So could you tell us a little bit about yours? Give us the Danielle Feinberg 101.
2: Sure. Um, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, awesome. My parents, um, they're both architects, but they're both uh, artists. My sister's an artist We were doing art all the time growing up. It wasn't even something I really thought about. My parents threw us in art classes um, you know, when we needed after school care or something. And at the same time in fourth grade, one of the teachers, uh, or sorry, one of the dads at my school said, hey, I wanna teach a programming class. And I didn't know what programming was, but I already liked the computers we had, which was three of, I think it was the first Apple computers, it might go. have been the second round. Nice. And um, so I took this programming class in a language that is actually shockingly still around. It was much more rudimentary then, but called Logo. Yep.
0: Hmm. And
2: um, in Logo, you make pictures, and so it was code making pictures, which happens to be fortuitous looking back. Um, but that so that was kind of how I got started with computers, and I always loved math and science, and just kept programming as sort of a hobby. I moved on the next year to the language BASIC, and um, and then when I got to college, I thought maybe I'd do engineering, and then I was like, why would I do that? I didn't get to do this computer thing that's already my hobby, so study computer science. And my junior year, there was this computer graphics class I was dying to take, and finally got to take it my junior year, and the professor showed these short animated films, um, computer animated films, and it was, I think, probably the first computer animation all of us had seen. Maybe we'd seen a tiny bit before that, but I just, for me, that was it. Like, I was like, that is what I have to do with my life. And, you know, it's kind of that idea that all the math, science, and code could come together to tell stories and create worlds and characters and stuff was just pure magic, and so I set my sights on that and was lucky enough that Pixar was hiring people so Um, for their second film the first film was toy story yeah um second film was a bug's life and started in a very entry-level technical position and then moved into lighting sort of combo of of art and tech and have been doing that ever since
1: amazing and and you kind of tell a little bit of that story in your ted talk and 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 i've had a chance to i've watched it a couple times and it resonated me with me in like tons of ways uh in it you talk about math and science and coding and how they all come together to to create stories and worlds and When I was in the classroom teaching computer science, uh, I taught computer science, but I also taught things like photography and graphic design, and it was all centered around game design, in fact. Um, And we are actually been talking a lot about this. Just last week, Mark Cuban was interviewed, and and he talked about how pure coding jobs might become automated because... um, programmers that programmers need to have a deeper level of experience and knowledge that's more creative and collaborative, for example. I'm, I'm curious if you agree with Mark, first off, but also that coding as we know it needs to adapt to a world that requires people to be more collaborative and creative. How do you think we do that?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think everything in our world is better when it's um, creative and collaborative. Absolutely. I mean, I, go, even going back to college when I was in that same computer graphics class and, and we were all in the computer lab. We had to be in the lab to do the assignments. And so you sort of were in a room with everyone else working on the assignments and the guys would kind of team up and you could hear them. They would figure out, there was all these tricks and turns in the assignments, which is just sort of part of computer graphics and figuring out like, oh, you have to actually have to flip this matrix and do this thing. And so, you know, they were coding collaboratively and, wow. um, and they could make progress much faster than me, the lone woman in the corner and the other woman in the other corner and like, so it's, um, I, you know, with anything, I think when you can work collaborative with ever other people, you're gonna get farther faster. You're also, you know, being creative about things, you're gonna find um, new awesome stuff. And, um, you know, we've been breaking ground so quickly with technology that we're gonna need a lot of creativity to keep keep kind of going at that rate.
0: So. Danielle, you do a lot of work with Girls Who Code, and I suspect that there may be some people listening to our podcast that may not know the organization. Could you share a little bit about Girls Who Code and what they do?
2: Sure. I'll say I've done a bunch of stuff with Girls Who Code and and a bunch of other organizations. There's all kinds of great organizations out there, so we're lucky enough that at this point there are organizations that if you're a girl who wants to code yeah. there you can probably get it in your community girls who code has done this uh, wonderful job in the short amount of time they've been around where they came up with a summer camp with this awesome curriculum and they get companies to agree to host them for the most part as companies i think maybe occasionally in a university um, but mostly in companies and so the girls are rising juniors and seniors um, they have to apply and they get into the camp and then they actually, in the course of that summer program, which I think is seven weeks, um, they actually really learn how to code. It isn't this sort of like, well, they kind of made a website, but they have no idea what they're doing. Like it's they're not, learning robotics, websites, yeah. apps. It's like legit. They yes. come out of there with some real skills. And so, awesome. um, and then they have um, some more like um, plug and play kind of like, instead of them running it, you can take their after school program and run it at your school if you're mm-hmm. motivated. and they've come up with some programs to really bring coding to girls all over the place and give them some real pretty amazing skills in the summer camps. Not only do they get the coding skills, but they actually learn a ton of soft skills too. So interviewing and speaking in front of groups and all kinds of really great stuff. And, um, and so I did some talks for them early on. I think their second year, maybe and third year. And then um and then i convinced pixar that we should host one of the camps so we did a camp for three years here and it was like one of the employees most favorite things was having the girls here for for the whole summer learning how to code that's amazing <laughs> that's
1: so awesome what an experience that would be it'd be like like that's like bucket list stuff like once in a lifetime experience
2: <laughs> yeah to spend your summer at pixar learning how to code it was right? it was pretty awesome <laughs> Can I yeah. Do that? yeah 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 <laughs> so right. cool uh,
1: so, so i i'm in the airport yesterday and um and i'm I spent a lot of time in the airport yesterday. We, had, we talked about that earlier, <laughs> earlier in the podcast. But, um, I, I'm in the airport yesterday looking out through the window at the airplanes, and I noticed something I think I've never seen before, and it, it was a female captain uh, of the, the, the plane. And it legitimately awesome. threw me off, not, not in the way that like it wasn't like I, I don't care, but it, was like it, it just seemed to me that when I think back to all the flights I've taken, I don't think I've seen a single female pilot. And I I found it ironic because we were gearing up to talk to you today and and you do a lot of work in this space of Girls That Code and stuff like that. And I suspect that especially as you were rising up the ranks and settling into your role, there may have been more than a few folks surprised that the director of photography and lighting at Pixar was a female. Um, I can't imagine uh, this female pilot has had smooth sailing as well um what's it like working in an incredibly high level in what i can only assume is a male dominated space
2: well the, i mean there's there's fun things sometimes like when i uh, only a year or two into working at pixar and i've gotten promoted to be the head of the rendering department and we went i went with some of the the top people on a bug's life who had been at pixar a long time mm-hmm. to a meeting with this third-party vendor which almost never happens but it was for piece of equipment that the rendering department would use and i'm i don't know 23 and i'm with these really high level people and so i'm not saying anything i'm listening to everything they have to say but i'm not speaking up and the guys from this third party company are spending all their time talking these guys and completely have blown me off right like they're like i don't know who this kid is but she's like the intern or something and we sit down to lunch and the guy who's sort of my boss he looks at me and goes well danielle what do you think (laughs) and it was you know, back then it was, I needed an invitation to say something. Yeah, and all of a yeah. sudden I was like, well, the problem we're gonna have is this, that, and the other thing. And unless it can do this, then we can't really, this technology isn't gonna work for us, blah, 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 <laughs> And you could just feel all of these guys look at me and go, oh no, that was the person we should have been talking to the whole time. Oh, that's
0: an and amazing story. so there was, yeah.
2: and I didn't even mean it, but I did have this moment of like, yeah, you shouldn't have been blowing me off. <laughs> right, <laughs> yes. But you know, to counter that, like, this place is really wonderful, like really lovely people, but sometimes people make assumptions. And so I was standing outside of meeting um, at the beginning of Cocos, This was probably four years ago or something. And it was a pretty technical meeting. And I'm going to the meeting and some guy I've worked with in lighting department for years and years and years walks up and he goes, he goes, why are you coming to this meeting? This is a pretty technical meeting, you know? (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) so shocked, like, you know, and in and my head sluggled. later, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I have a computer science degree from Harvard, man. Like, come on. Exactly. Like,
1: right.
2: <laughs> so, but you know, he uh, he probably didn't know that or remember it or what I don't know what he meant by it. But you know, there's certainly moments like that, and out in the out in the world too. I think one of the really nice things being um, a DP of lighting here is that the original DP of lighting was a woman, and she awesome. sort of. Um, okay helped, uh, mentor me and a couple other people. And so it's actually pretty even, but I've, I just actually in the last month or two got promoted to be supervising technical director and I'm the first woman to do that job in 20 years. So wow. it's, I'm going to run through a whole nother round of people not expecting a woman <laughs> in that position.
0: Wow. That is fantastic. Talking about fantastic things. You're going to be delivering the keynote address or one of the keynote addresses at ISTI, and it's coming up actually this week. Um, without giving it all away, can you tell us what you're going to be talking about?
2: Sure. None of my talks are um, complete without multiple examples from Pixar movies of the way that we kind of make the movies happen, a lot of the math, science, and code behind bringing those worlds to life. And and so interwoven with that is, is some personal stories and definitely a little bit of focus on, you know, teachers that I've had in the past that have made a difference in how I kind of stuck with um being one of the few women in my computer science classes and stuff and so there's there's a little bit of everything in there
1: awesome i i so i taught computer science and 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 i taught game design and coding and and had obviously a lot of girls come through my class and so you don't have to convince me personally that women can and should be just as capable and dominant in stem fields as men in fact in my class i tell people this all the time the girls in my class were almost always the better students uh, in my specific experience. Um, And I always found the girls in my class offering takes on their game design work that I didn't see from the boys. Uh, And it made me think a lot about inclusion and, you know, voices at the table of power kind of in, in different industries. And so do you think women bring something unique to STEM fields? And what do you think would it mean to have more powerful women voices in these industries and, some of the real outcomes that might result from having that happen
2: yeah as an example from the work that i have done with girls who code and and the girls get to do their own project at the end of that summer program and so it's of their choosing and it's really astonishing they get into groups of i guess three people and it's astonishing once they have the power of code how many of them immediately jump to what can i do to help my community or my friend or they're doing all exactly this it. really cool sort of social good stuff that mm-hmm. you go, Oh my God. And, and, you know, it's, they're not, they're not making a shoot up game they're you know, like, and so I think there is a lot of valuable stuff and it's like, you know, we hammer really hard on like girls are just as capable as boys at STEM. And I, but I think sometimes lost in there is like, there are actually differences between, um, everyone and you really want those differences because it means that you can create much broader much more wonderful much more creative much more um interesting things as you get all of these different kind of life experiences and views and ideas and so Mm. I think it's really exciting, especially because I think we could probably use a little more social good stuff happening right For now.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Um,
2: and so I think mixing more of that um, sort of take on things and is great, but just the the creative creativity of, of different people bringing their sort of experiences to, to these things.
0: So Danielle, it was super awesome to have you on the show today. Hopefully we'll be able to meet up at ISTI because uh, we'll be awesome. there too. So how can people follow you and your work or possibly connect with you online?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I don't hide. I'm pretty, pretty easy to find. Um, <laughs> um I, Instagram is probably the thing I spend the most time on, uh, which is just D a Feinberg, you can search Danielle and Pixar and you can find me, in my Ted talks out there. If you want to see an example of kind of, um, the types of things I'll be talking about at awesome. it. So I'm, I, you know, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook, all that stuff. So I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty easy to find.
1: Awesome. Daniel, thank, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure.
2: Thank you guys for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn. My co-host is Glenn Irvin. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod.com. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. You can find us on Facebook by visiting Facebook.com slash We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or on the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks, as always, for listening. Stay awesome. See you soon.